are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Father, we thank you, we magnify you, we adore you. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our we maker. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your power here. Father, be glorified, be honored, be magnified. Be lifted up high in this place. We adore you, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our everything. We maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Thank you, Father God for the gift of Jesus Christ. We praise and we adore your name. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your great grace. Father, thank you because there is none like you. There is none that can compare with you in heaven and on earth. We adore you. We give you glory. Thank you, Jesus, the mighty miracle walker. We glorify your name. Your name is wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of your kingdom and of peace, there shall be no end. To order it and it's to establish it upon your throne, upon your kingdom, from this time forth and forevermore. Blessed be your great name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be that name that is above every name. Be glorified, be honored, be adored. We worship you. Blessed be your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Caris and the worship team. That was a wonderful time in the presence of God. The presence of God is here in a very, very strong way. Uh, and, you are, and I'm so excited to see how everyone is just flowing with the Spirit of God. Um, right from the very minute we stepped in here, right from the pre-service prayer through the worship and, um, and, and, and as we continue, we just trust that the Holy Spirit will just take control and will keep on moving. I believe we are really entering into a different season um, for resurgence and for the church in um, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, God is actually doing a new thing. This is a season of the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. This is a season for the of the glory of God. It's a season of rising up, stepping up to be who God has called us to be, to impact the nation. You know, I, I, wa I was very happy to hear Travis saying that this word of multiplication, we really need the multiplication to accomplish what God wants us to do. And that's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, my message tonight is on the Holy Spirit. Um, and last resurgence, Donovan taught on this Holy Spirit. And um, it was a very good and powerful message. And I just felt, uh, as I was praying and thinking about this Today, tonight's meeting and what to preach about, I felt God also saying to preach about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be from a slightly, the Holy Spirit is the same spirit. It's the same spirit, but it's going to be from a slightly different angle, though the same train of thought. Um, I'll be focusing more on the corporate anointing, the corporate presence of God in us as we gather. Um, so let's just start with a few scriptures. Uh, 
So, if you could turn your Bibles to John 7, 36 and Acts 2, 29. And we're going to, um, there are so many scriptures that have, have been flying through my mind and I'm just trusting God to say what he wants and to order things aright. Um, so, John 7, 36. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit. Who had given him and everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. That scripture says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried with a loud voice, He that thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. As the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow out rivers of living waters. This spake he of the Spirit, which those who believed on him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. Is anyone in Acts 2.36? Joel, are you there now? <laughs> um, if you had, are you there? Okay. There, I redeemed myself. Two thirty-six. Okay. Therefore, let me just make yeah two. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So then, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his body experience decay. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they had heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What should we do, brothers? Peter said, Good. Thanks a lot. I should have told him where to stop. But I love reading the scriptures. So I just said, go right on. Let's also read Acts 2. 17. I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> Maybe Megan will read for us. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even... Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So um, some, some points I want to emphasize from the two scriptures that were read. First, what Joel read. He says, talking about Jesus, Jesus being exalted at the right, being at the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Holy Spirit, this has he poured out, which you both see and know. And let the whole house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. So the Holy Spirit is the glory of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was given to the church and to the world because Jesus Christ had been glorified. And we need to recognize the value and the place the Holy Spirit plays in the body of Christ, the church. Because as we learn to recognize and give him his place, then we will begin to see what he's capable of doing. And then we'll begin to see and appreciate what Jesus Christ actually accomplished and walked on the earth, that God decided to raise him up and exalt him and give him the Holy Spirit as his glory, as the glory of Jesus Christ because of the work he had accomplished. So the more we value and appreciate this man called Jesus Christ, who was with the Father from eternity past, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, the Greek translation in that place actually reads, the best way to in, 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 um, translate it would be, from eternity past, the word had always been existing. So this is the son of God, who is God himself, deciding that he's going to take on the form of man, because man had a problem. He had fallen into sin and was estranged from God. And God was looking for a way to redeem and set everything back right. And give man the kind of relationship he had with God at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. An angel couldn't accomplish it. No human being could accomplish it because human beings were falling. There was no one in heaven on earth below the earth, that could accomplish it. And Jesus Christ says, I will do it. And he took the form of his servant, the highest humility ever displayed. And, and being found in the fashion of a man, this is in Ephesians 2, he says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What that tells us is that Jesus Christ took our sins, he took our sicknesses, he took our pains, he took our weaknesses on the cross in obedience to the Father. He could have turned it down and said, no, I don't want to do any of that. And Jesus Christ said that, oh, don't you know that I could ask, and this was when um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when um, they came to arrest him, and his disciples brought out their sword to fight. And Jesus Christ said, put back your sword. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given unto me? Do you not think that I can ask the Father for 12 legions of angels at this time and will just shut down the whole thing? But he said, no, I want to be obedient to my Father. I want to please him. I want to do what he sent me to do. And so he became obedient. He decided to act like a servant rather than take 
you know, take advantages of his rights as a son. And he went to the cross and suffered both in the physical and in the spiritual. In the physical, the crucifixion was the worst kind of death ever invented. It was a death of torture. The Roman soldiers were masters in torture. And they nailed Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. And he still went through that shame, humiliation, so-called defeat. Because the Bible says the devil at that point was, it appeared he was the winner. In, in Colossians 1, chapter, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Had the princes of this world known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it was actually the devil that orchestrated the, um, the death and the killing of Jesus Christ. But he was obedient to his father and he submitted to the father's will. Spiritually, he bore the judgment that should be rightfully ours. The wrath of God was actually poured upon him. He drank, as the Bible says, the cup of God's wrath. And satisfied the claims of justice on the cross. He actually went to hell. And I know that is, that's, contro that's theologically controversial. But if you read the Bible, it says that, that God raised him from the dead. Having loosed the pains of death. For it was not possible that death should hold him. So really, even spiritually, death was laid upon Jesus' spirit. Sin was laid upon Jesus' spirit. The Bible says, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous of, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says, he became poor, that we might become rich. All that happened in, the, in his spirit when he was suffering the torments of the damned. And I mean, some people dispute that, but, um, but that's fine. We're not talking about um, theological um, controversies here. But... What I'm trying to point out is that the sufferings of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was an awesome, awesome price that God himself would take the sins of mankind and go to the lowest point just to suffer so that we might be redeemed. And after he had paid the price and satisfied the claims of justice, and met every need of mankind. The Bible says that God now raised him up from the dead. Not only did he satisfy, um, redeem us legally, he also redeemed us from the hands of the devil. Because all of humanity was really under the master, the devil. I know, and that's why Jesus used to make some very startling statements. When he confronted the Pharisees, he would say, Ye of the, your father, the devil... The Bible called the devil the god of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the, um, the world rulers of this present darkness. The Bible says that all of mankind is under the power of darkness, and that's in 1 John 5. So not only did Jesus Christ meet the claims of justice before the throne of God, he also confronted the devil in his own territory, the Bible says that he disarmed principalities and powers, made an open show of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, it's, it's so to speak, all the hosts of hell, when they saw that they had crucified Jesus, when they saw that Jesus Christ, you know, was 
cut off from the presence of God. As God said, my my, um, and Jesus said, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? They thought this was their opportunity to bury him under their full power. But after he satisfied the claims of justice, there's one translation that says he put away from himself principalities and powers, made an open show of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, he defeated the powers of darkness. He broke the authority of sin and death. He broke the authority of demons over mankind and set us free. Hebrews 2 says that through death, he destroyed him who had the strength of death, which is the devil. So there was a complete and total defeat of the devil and his dark powers when Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> complete victory. The Bible says that he took the keys of death and hell when he appeared to John on the island of Patmos, he said to John, I am the living one. I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. And that's because he had taken the keys of death and hell from Satan. He had destroyed him. He had paralyzed him. You know, there's a parable Jesus Christ talked about. When a man guards his household, his goods are safe. But when a stronger than him comes, he overpowers him. He takes away the weapons which he trusted and plunders his goods. And that's actually what Jesus Christ did. He took away the keys of death and hell from Satan. He plundered his goods. He set mankind free. And mankind now has an eternal redemption from sin, from sickness, from pain, from poverty, Man is justified because of the work of Jesus. And God was so pleased with Jesus Christ. He said, God had raised him up from the dead and set him at the right hand of the majesty on high, far above all principalities, powers, and might, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. He says, when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, in Hebrews 1, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And this is what Christ has done for us. Not only that, God glorified Jesus Christ by giving him the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the stamp of what Jesus Christ accomplished in the work of his resurrection. And God poured out, gave him the fullness of the of deity, the fullness of omnipotence, the fullness of the Godhead. He placed it upon Jesus Christ. You know, when the Bible talks about the right hand, it's not just, it's symbolic. It's not just next to God. It means the seat of God's authority, majesty, and power. You know, in the Old Testament, Joseph is an example of someone who was at the right hand of Pharaoh. Joseph wasn't necessarily sitting or standing by Pharaoh's right hand. But Joseph was exercising all the authority that belonged to Pharaoh in the land. Pharaoh said to Joseph that, all my authority belongs to you. The only difference between the two of us is that I have the name of Pharaoh. And Joseph exercised that whole authority in the land of um, Egypt at, at, in those days. In the same way, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand. And the right hand means the seat of power the seat of glory, the seat of majesty, the seat of authority. And that's why it says, on his, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and of peace, there shall be no end. To order it and to establish it upon the throne of David, both now and forever. So Jesus Christ is reigning on the throne of God in God's full authority, power, and splendor. He is the head of the government. He is the Lord of the kingdom. He's everything the Father is. He's everything the Holy Spirit is. And that's why God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And when God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, the first thing he did was to pour that same spirit upon the church. And that's what, why we read that scripture in Acts. Being exalted at the right hand of the majesty on high and having received of the Holy Spirit, this he has poured out, which you both see and know. And so when, you, when we recognize that the Holy Spirit came to reveal, to demonstrate, to show all that Jesus Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, and being seated at the right hand of God, our whole attitude towards the Holy Spirit now changes. This is the era of the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. God loves the church so much because the truth about it is that Jesus Christ really didn't need to do all that. He was always, before he laid down his glory and splendor, he was always at the right hand of God. He was always God. Then why did he do it? Because he wanted a bride to be like him. He wanted a bride to demonstrate and reveal who he is. He wanted a bride to reflect his own image and personality created like him. He wanted to restore the initial dream that God had in the Garden of Eden when he said, let us make man in our own image. He wanted a church in his own image. And so he poured out the spirit of God upon us to glorify the church. Not so much to glorify himself, but that he might be glorified in the church. And so this is the season for, God, for Jesus Christ to be glorified. You know, we've been, we've been desiring a greater move of God. We've been desiring, you know, a stronger manifestation of God. And this is the reason why. Because we want Jesus to be glorified in us and we in him. And this is a prayer in 2 Thessalonians 1. That the, that the name of Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him. And so we are talking about the Holy Spirit. The glory of Jesus Christ, the power of God working in the church, the Holy Spirit, the season of demonstration and power, the time of miracles, that is the Holy Spirit, to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. So, um, the Holy Spirit works in different ways in the body of Christ. Let us look at Second um, Corinthians chapter 1. Verse, I'll tell you the verse when I get there. You know, when I was preparing for this meeting, and um, in my mind I've been trying to get a proper structure and a message, and um, I just couldn't. So what I'm saying right now is, bees, I'm depending on the Holy Spirit, right? I don't have a structure in my mind. And um, because I would try to, you know, force something and God would say, oh, not quite. 
And I'll try to force another thing. Ah, not quite. And after some time, I just felt, just leave it. Because you are trying to teach the people to flow with the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be the guinea pig. <laughs> so, so I'm just trusting God. And you just trust God with me as well. So 2 Corinthians, I hope this is the scripture. <laughs> 2 Corinthians, um, if it's not, I'll just quote it. But I believe in 2 Corinthians 1 verse, um, yeah, 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21. Is anybody there? Let's try another Megan. <laughs> okay, are you there? Okay, could you read for us? Uh, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Amen. So, um, I would read... I also read it from um, uh, the ESV translation. It says, it is God who established with us with you in Christ and has anointed us. So that's one word, anointed. And anointed also means the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the anointing of God. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So the anointing is the Holy Spirit. So notice that first. It says he has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us. The Holy Spirit is also the seal. It says that, um, this is in Ephesians 1. It says that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the, until the day of um, uh, redemption. So it talks about the anointing, the Holy Spirit, and who has put his seal, which is the Holy Spirit, on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What? <laughs> What's going on? God has given us the Holy, has anointed us with the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit and he has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What, what does this really mean? And the Holy Spirit operates on multiple levels. And this is the illustration. When you get saved, you get born again. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart in a measure. And that is the seal that you are a born child of God. You are born of God. You have the nature of God. You have the life of God. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and imparts that life and nature. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, immediately you cry out, Abba, Father, because God actually is your Father. And the Spirit testifies in your spirit that you are a born child of God. The, the word translated child there, is child of it's actually a very intimate word. It's a born child, a child that was born, not just somebody, a child or a small guy. Or, it actually means you have the nature of God in you. You are born of God. So that's the first thing, the Holy Spirit. So he walks in our hearts. It now says that he has given us 
the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So even though you are born again, you have a measure of the Spirit, but you do not necessarily have the fullness of the Spirit. And you see that multiple times in Acts. Acts, um, the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. The, um, Acts 12, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. They, they were baptized. And the apostles sent Peter and John to lay hands on them that they might receive the Spirit. Same thing in Acts 19. Paul came to a group of believers and said, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And um, Paul updated them, gave them the latest revelation. And his, the Bible says he laid hands on them and were filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a, a second infilling. You receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he enables you to walk as a son of God. So there's a born child of God. There's a son of God. A son of God actually implies somebody who has rights and authority in his father's house as distinct from a child who is born of God. That, the emphasis on a child of God is the emphasis on the nature. You have the nature and life of God in you. But as a son of God, you have rights. You have privileges. You have authority in the house of God. And the Holy Spirit now comes to, in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to empower you to walk as a son, to walk in authority. So those are two. Then the third one here, he says, he has also anointed us. So that refers to your ministry or your calling. So we are born children of God. We are sons of God. We are also ministers or servants of God to the body of Christ. And God now anoints you to serve. I know some people have awesome anointing. And you think that God is a respecter of persons. Not, no, he's not. It's the anointing of a servant. And the other two that I mentioned, the seal of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you can use in your life. You can take advantage of that for your own personal gain. But you cannot take advantage of the anointing on you as a minister to serve your personal needs. If not, Travis would be advantage in the kingdom of God and God is unjust. I mean, Travis will be using his, you know, the gifts or his callings. Maybe he'll be calling out word of knowledge for his life. Um, I'm, I need to invest in this company because I just have a word for that. No, you know, you're abusing that. No, that's not what it's for. Or if God calls you, and someone once mentioned to me that the God called them, and I won't point out the person, um, into a healing ministry, and they have this healing gift. They minister to people, and people get healed, but they can't get that healing for themselves because it wasn't designed for your personal use. It was the anointing to minister is designed to minister to others. Now, in addition, there is an anointing, a corporate anointing upon the body of Christ. There is a corporate anointing in as we gather together as a body. And, you know, let's read Ephesians 2. And this is, we are finally getting into the message. <laughs> yeah. Ephesians 2, 
Ephesians 2, verse... Let's start from verse 20. Um, is anybody there? Somebody shaking her head. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pass you by, and I won't point out who you are. <laughs> are you there? Do you want to read for us? No? Okay, I'll wait for you. You were built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself with the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together harmoniously, and it continues to rise into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you yourselves are also built upon, being built up with the rest to form a fixed abode of God in the spirit. Thank you. So that scripture says that we all are built together to form a temple of God. God takes each and every individual in his body, in his family, and knits them together, and they form a temple of God. And also, individually, we are knit together, and we form a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So there is a corporate anointing when we all come together. And the Holy Spirit comes in a corporate fashion and dwells in us as a temple. And this is another level of the walking of the Holy Spirit in his body. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do ye not know that ye... Amplified version puts it this way, that do you not know that you individually and corporately are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. So corporately, we form a house for God to live in, to move in, to walk in. He says, I will live in them and I will walk in them. So even as we are gathered here, God, the Holy Spirit, is present, living in us. But not only living in us, he's walking in us. He's manifesting the Father. He's manifesting Jesus. He's doing something in us as a corporate body. There's a very beautiful scripture in Zechariah 12, 8. Um, could someone please open there as well? And it, it, it sort of emphasizes this corporate oppression and power of God in us. You know, one of, one of us will put to flight a thousand. Two will put to flight ten thousand. So we are more powerful together. We are more powerful, more impactful as a team. Um, is anybody there? Um, Zechariah 12, 8. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. Hallelujah. Great scripture. 
It says that by virtue of the Holy Spirit, you know, David was a very powerful man of God. He won many victories. No one could really stand before David. I mean, he goes into a town and there's victory. Always, always. He won all battles. He expanded the kingdom. And now the Bible says that in that day, which is the day we live in right now, the weakest of us, the feeblest of us will be like David because of the power of the Holy Ghost inside us. You know, sometimes we have too weak of, too small of an opinion of one another and of Christianity, you know. We have our estimate of what God has done in us in Christ is just too low. And we need to step up. You know, I believe God is saying in this season that we need to step up. We need to rise and be who he called us to be. By recognizing and giving the Holy Spirit his rightful place in our lives. But what I want to point out is that the whole house will be like God. Because we are the body of Christ. The fullness of Christ dwells in his body. And what we can do as a body is far greater than what we can do individually. And so we have the Holy Spirit walking. Miracles, power, signs and wonders should be commonplace in the church of God. I know some, and, and in a place like Resurgence, we are learning about the Holy Spirit. We welcome him, but there is more. And, you know, we come from many denominations, many walks, you know, and different experiences. Some are open to these things, some not so open. But we need to get to a point where we unite. Let's not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you're hesitant about the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Or oh, the Holy Spirit is so spooky, so weird. You know, I prefer the word because you can think, you can analyze. You can't do that with the Holy Spirit. You never know what he's going to do. I mean, he might just make me raise up my hand. <laughs> You know, or he may come upon me and I will start laughing. Or he might make me dance and I don't want to dance. You know, I've seen people rolling on the floor, roaring, doing kinds, all kinds of weird things. I don't want to do all that. You know, the Bible, that scripture that, um, that we read, it says that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy and old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions upon your... Um, uh, my maid servants and man servants will I pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will do signs in the heavens above, wonders on the earth beneath, blood, fire, billows of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. I say, oh my goodness, the moon is turning to blood. The sun is turning to darkness because of the Holy Spirit. We don't want any of that. But we need to learn how to embrace the Holy Spirit. Because it's all for our good. You know, there are some things we may not understand, but we need to open up our hearts and welcome him, you know, and just trust him because he's here for our good. He's a gentle spirit. I know some, so, you know, sometimes some of the weird things you do might actually be the flesh. You know, some, you know, some things that, oh, they're weird. Some is the Holy Spirit, some is the flesh. But when is the Holy Spirit, it's powerful. But that is why we need to learn about the Holy Spirit so that we can open our hearts and we can recognize when it is the Holy Spirit and we flow with it. And when it's not the Holy Spirit, I mean, if it's not the Holy Spirit, we correct in a spirit of gentleness. But we all can know the Holy Spirit and we can recognize him when he's moving. But we need to open our hearts. You know, Paul said, I commend myself to every man's conscience. The whole, uh, the apostle Paul, 
the apostle of God, is saying that I'm an apostle, I saw Jesus Christ, but I'm not automatically saying you must obey me. Check your hearts, check your conscience, and the Holy Spirit will witness to you whether what I'm saying is of him or not. The Bible says judge all things, but that can only come when we learn in our own hearts to open up to the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing about the corporate anointing, you know, when this, why it's corporate is that the Holy Spirit unites us as a body. And when he's moving, he's doing one thing. He's not, it's not every person doing his own thing by the Holy Spirit in them. In other words, so we, we have a hundred people here and the Holy Spirit is doing a hundred things because each person has the Holy Spirit and each person is doing his own thing. The corporate anointing implies that the Holy Spirit is moving in one way and all of us are connected and know that one thing that the Spirit of God is doing and we are all linked and flowing with the Spirit. For instance, the, the corporate anointing, you see the corporate anointing flowing in the place of prayer. You see the corporate anointing flowing in the place of worship or the preaching of the word or in ministering to people. But in all those things, one, you don't sometimes it may happen, but you don't necessarily see somebody here doing his own thing. Someone there doing their own thing. There is unity. We are all doing the same thing. We are all worshiping in the same, by the same spirit. We are all flowing together. That's because it's corporate. And each person has his own part to play. And we contribute and unite together and flow together as a team. Now, there is diversity. Because if you are worshiping, even though there, there is worship in one unified way, it might be different from one person to the next. Because there is unity and there is diversity in the Holy Spirit. But it's the same spirit doing the work in every one of us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read this whole chapter. I like generally reading scripture. So we're going to read this chapter. Let's see how it starts. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, if you read um, King James... Uh, it talks about spiritual gifts is in italics. It's, so it's actually concerning spirituals. So it could read concerning the things of the spirit. The things of the spirit. So it's talking about how the Holy Spirit operates. Um, it's a long scripture, but maybe we'll just touch, in a few, touch a few things. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a cost, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit there are variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in all. To each is given the manifestation for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to, 
according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all we are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the air should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. Let's jump to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues, are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the things, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's a very, very interesting passage, and it's quite compact, and it talks about the various aspects of the Holy Spirit. One aspect is the gifts. Tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings and manifests in his body. It also talks about the diversity and unity. It says we are all one body. And you cannot say, oh, because I'm not a miracle worker, I am not the body of Christ. You're, you are valuable in the body of Christ. And what you have to contribute is important. It also says you cannot say to your brother, I don't need you. Your brother is important. And what, or your sister, and what they, your brother or your sister has to contribute is important. So there is unity in the body and there is also diversity. But it's the same spirit unifying and working one purpose. And we all connect to that one purpose. The Holy Spirit also, and, and the next, um, um, the final section, it talks about the different flows of the Spirit. It talks about the apostolic flow, the prophetic flow, the teaching flow, even administrators. I never really liked administrators. Um, <laughs> until I saw that it was in the Bible, God actually gives administrators gifts. And there's a flow of the Holy Spirit even in administration. There's a flow of the Holy Spirit in helps, the greeters, you know. So all of us have gifts and callings. The gifts are the empowerment to fulfill your calling. The gifts, word of knowledge, miracles, the revelation gives, the power gifts, they empower you to fulfill your calling, which is like the ministry calling. And so sometimes when we gather together, we tend to think of the Holy Spirit as very irrational, like the wind blowing, you never know what he's going to do. And that is true. That really is the prophetic flow. But it's, the Holy Spirit doesn't only flow in the prophetic. Sometimes he may flow in the apostolic. 
and that is authority and power. Sometimes he, must, he may flow as in the teaching, which is logical, step by step. After all, it was the Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible, that compiled the Bible. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God, the breath of God, that no, 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 word of, no scripture came by any man's will. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the Bible. And you see many times, it, it, um, Acts 1, that when David was speaking by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord. And you see that consistently because it's the Holy Spirit that actually wrote the Bible through men. So there's a logic, an anointing that is very step-by-step -step logical. So the Holy Spirit flows and we need to recognize him and you know, flow with him and give him his way to glorify Jesus. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is that he reveals Jesus and what Jesus has done in the body of Christ. And that's by revelation. But not only that, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus by his works. John 5, 39 Jesus was saying, and let me read, let's read it. Um, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. No, this is, not the, this is not the verse I'm looking for. Yeah. I know it's in Jesus. Okay, yeah, it's 36. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness to me about me that the Father has sent me. So, you know, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus both by the revelation of the Scriptures but also by the works that he does in our midst, by revealing himself, by demonstrating his ability, by demonstrating his power, and you get to know God better. So there's actually a reason why the Holy Spirit moves. It's to minister to individuals that have needs, but it's also to expose us to how God works, to expose us so that we know God better, so that we can enter the supernatural that is the thing about the Holy Spirit, to enter into the supernatural and know God, not just as a theoretical or a theological doctrine, but as a reality that is living and walking in our midst. The Holy Spirit also in revealing Jesus, he glorifies Jesus. There's a scripture which says that when the Spirit of God is come, he shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and reveal it to you. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He walks in our midst. He does miracles because he wants us to know God. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to the world. Just as he has a ministry to the church. When the spirit of truth is come, he will demonstrate 
to the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe on me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, concerning judgment because the prince of this world is judged and cast out and sentence is already passed upon him. So the Holy Spirit is going to shake the world and reveal that Jesus Christ indeed is Lord. You know, we have forgotten our weapon and our strength and started as it, I'm talking as a church, the church as a whole. And we are looking for weak ways to gain influence in our society. And not that these ways are bad. Like for instance, you hear people trying to use, go through the courts to enforce righteousness or through political means to enforce the will of God. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we are putting the cart before the horse when we forget that it is the Spirit, is by means of the power and glory and presence of the Spirit that we gain our influence in the world. And so we need to return back to the, to, as a church. We need to, and this is what, where repentance really comes in. We need to repent of our approach, of trying to do things in a natural way, of trying to use our logic and our reason, you know, to accomplish the purpose of God, organizing, creating events without the power. Jesus Christ said that, um, Paul rather said, in the last days there are some people who will profess a form of godliness but deny the power of it from such keep away. This really is repentance. Sometimes you think about repentance and you think about repenting of your sins. The real repentance is changing your mind to adopt the mind of Christ, to adopt the word of God, to let God have his way. And I just want to round up and I just want to talk about what we need to do to enhance the flow of the Holy Spirit in our midst. One, we need to acknowledge him. We need to give him his place. And when I say acknowledge, I actually mean speak out. We need to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is here working in us. You know, Acts 10.38 is a very wonderful scripture. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But, and that's a wonderful scripture. But if we back up a little bit, it tells us something. It says that, um, and I'll start from verse 35, 36. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, his Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So what God was saying is that God sent Jesus with a word. And this is the word, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. In other words, everywhere Jesus went, his message was, the Holy Spirit is upon me. Look for. He was emphasizing the Holy Spirit. He would go to a village. The Holy Spirit is here. He's upon me. So Jesus was emphasizing and speaking the Holy Spirit, trying to create a consciousness of the Holy Spirit in his people. And when you do that, you create a sense of faith, an atmosphere of faith. You know, there's a place where Jesus Christ went to preach, and he said he could there do no miracles because of their own belief. 
And what did he do? He went about teaching, emphasizing the place of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is upon me, and he's doing this. He's delivering the oppressed. He's preaching the gospel to the poor. He's setting captives free. There was a consciousness of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. And we need to do that. We need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Another thing is we need to reverence him. The Holy Spirit is God. You can't, we cannot afford to belittle him, to treat him like a body. I mean, he's our body, but we can't just oh, treat him like anybody. We have to learn to appreciate and value and esteem and reverence. When he's in our presence, give him the reverence. When um, you are in the court of law, as soon as the court comes in, everyone says, the the, the bailor would say, all rise, and everyone would stand, and the judge would come in, and everyone would remain standing till the judge sits. That's reverence. And if you mess up, the judge will, you know, give you contempt of court and throw you in jail for a few days. If we give this kind of reverence to people, I think the Holy Spirit deserves more. You know, and um, we, I come from a culture of, and all cultures are great, and you have something to learn from different cultures. You know, my culture in um, Africa, Nigeria, we have a culture of reverence. You know, you respect your elders. There are some um, 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 tribes, when they see their father in the, in the morning, they prostrate flat on the floor. They go right on the floor <laughs> to, to greet their dad. Right flat on the floor. And then uh, greet him and this, he stands up. My culture, you kneel to greet your Parents. I mean, we are becoming more modern, so um, sometimes just a gesture is enough. <laughs> but we give that reverence to your parents or to your elders. And so many times it's easy when I come from, when you come from that culture, to directly translate it to the Spirit of God. He's still, and I love Western culture because there is equality. You are equal with your dad almost. <laughs> you know, and you can be bodies with him. And so there's a place for that as well. And so we need to learn the good things from the culture. We're not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're his body. But at the same time, we reverence him. And those cultures are actually in the Bible. You see it in the Bible. But we need to reverence him. We need to, when he's here, we surrender our own plans and follow his own plans. We don't distract our neighbor because his attention should be on God and not on us. And when we all focus our attention on the Spirit of God and on Jesus Christ, there's a faith atmosphere that's easy for the Spirit of God to move. Another thing is worship. And worship is ministering to God. God really should have our focus and our attention. And there are different kinds of songs. There are songs that minister to one of each to the people. But there are some songs that minister to God and they give our attention on God and his spirit and on Jesus Christ. And when you do that, the Bible says you create a throne and God manifests and sits on that throne. You will notice that sometimes the presence of God is stronger in some instances than others. The Holy Spirit is always here. Where his temple, he always lives within us. But when he manifests, when we have an atmosphere of faith, created and our focus is on God it's a throne it's the right atmosphere it's the atmosphere for miracles because he doesn't come at that point he manifests his power and his presence and that's what worship does 
Another thing is, and I'll, um, I'm getting to, I'm rounding up soon, is prayer. Prayer, the Holy Spirit works by prayer. The corporate anointing, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, like in your own personal life, the Holy Spirit residing in you, all you need to do is stir him up by faith. And he will act on your behalf. But when it comes to the corporate anointing, the corporate working of God in us, the Holy Spirit operates. We, prayer releases his work. And that's why prayer is our foundation. We want to shake the nations. We want an arising in Canada. That will not happen outside of prayer. Every revival is initiated by prayer. And every revival is sustained by prayer. Because the walking of God, the walking of the Holy Spirit is by prayer. Acts 4, 30, 29, it says, and they prayed. And this is the end of their prayer. They said, now Lord, behold their threats. The background of the story was that the, the, the authorities were upset that the Peter and John were preaching Jesus Christ. And they warned them not to preach. These were radical guys. They had changed. The fearful people who were hiding in the upper room or who ran away had now changed because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come upon them with fire and power and had transformed them. And they went back to their own company, the Bible says, and they prayed. They didn't pray, God, protect us. They didn't pray, God, deliver us. They didn't pray, God, hide us. They didn't pray, God, look at what has happened. We are not going to preach the gospel. They didn't pray that, oh, the authorities have passed a law that we shouldn't preach the gospel. Therefore, we are not going to preach the gospel until the law is changed. Instead, they preached, now, Lord, behold, the they are threatening. See the enemy coming against us. We are not going to back down. We are fighting fire with fire. We are fighting the, the law of, of the authority with the power of the Holy Spirit. And said, now, Lord, grant to thy servants that with all boldness we may preach thy word while you stretch forth your hand, that's the Holy Spirit, while you stretch forth your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders in the name of thy holy child Jesus. This was their prayer. This was a prayer of boldness, but it was a prayer for the move of the Holy Spirit in the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ because the prayer in the name of Jesus Christ releases the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Acts, James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man makes tremendous power available. And when we, you know, as a body gets together, each of us playing our own part, each of us expecting, demanding, drawing on the, the Holy Spirit because of what the name of Jesus Christ has made available to all of us, we are going to see that move that we've been desiring for years and for ages. We just have to flow and cooperate with him. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just, um, um, could the um, worship team just get back on the stage and, um, uh, yeah, so we're expecting great things. Let's rise up on our feet as well. Before you, I, I want us to lift up our voices and I'm just going to, um, um, before the um, start, uh, I want us to pray because that's one of the things we need to do to release the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want us to spend some time praying. The Bible says, in that place, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
We want an outpouring. One prayer is not enough. It has to be sustained prayer. The last days started from Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, God is still pouring out his spirit. What happened in Pentecost really ought to be happening in our own day and age, in our own time. Yeah, so let's partner with God. I think God is calling us to rise up in every way and move with his spirit and cooperate with him. Amen. So let's lift up our voice. If you, can, if you, if you are able to speak in tongues, go ahead and um, begin to pray for an outpouring of the spirit of God. Father, we adore you. We praise you. Thank you for your plan and your purpose for this season, for this hour. Thank you for what you are already doing. Thank you because the outpouring has already begun in resurgence. Thank you for the move of the spirit that has already begun. Thank you for miracles, signs, wonders. Thank you for the demonstration of your spirit and of power. Father, we receive it. Your word says, ask for rain in the time of the latter rain. So will the Lord send bright clouds and give rain to every man grass in his field. Father, we receive it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for charging us with fire. Thank you for filling us with your power, oh God. Thank you for change and transformation. Thank you for lifting us to another level of glory. You said you take us from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from victory to victory. Thank you because you will glorify yourself in your church once again. Thank you, Father God, because you exalt your body once again. Thank you, Father God, because your will will be accomplished. Your kingdom will come. Thank you, Father God, you will be glorified in the land. You shall have dominion from sea to sea. Thank you, Father God. Men shall call upon your name and they shall be saved. Men shall see the presence and the glory and the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you shall be exalted in the land. We shall see your demonstration. You shall see your power. Thank you, Father God. You are restoring us. We give you honor, glory, and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.